Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Jack Mitchell Podcast. Uh, maybe some of you are new to the podcast. Join us last week as we got started with uh, what I'm kind of informally calling Season 3 of the podcast with Part 1 of Jake Bogus. Hopefully you hang on for more episodes on this new season of the podcast. They'll be coming out every Thursday at 9 a.m. And got got a bunch of different uh, guests, a big variety of stuff that we're going to cover on the podcast going forward. But without any further ado, this is Episode 2, Part 2 of 2 of my interview with Jake Bogus. If you haven't heard Part 1 yet, go back and listen to that first. Find it right in your podcast feed right below this one. But let's get going. Part 2 with Jake Bogus. Yeah. So was, was SCO the first place you ended up then? Yeah. So um, I got a job at SCO. Um, I interviewed at three places in one day. I interviewed at East, Southeast, and SCO. Uh, and I was always told to take the first job offered to you at, uh, in education. And when um, they uh, – <laughs> my first interview question was <laughs> – from Bill Schulenberg, who's kind of a legend in, for administrators in Lincoln, uh, he said, uh, he's like, so why do you want to teach middle school? And and I said, I don't know. Y- you wanted to interview me. Like, I don't even know if I want to do middle school. And he said to me later, Jack, he goes, I knew right then I was going to hire you because middle schoolers appreciate it when people are honest with them. He said they're real. And he's like, I knew right then you would be real with our kids. And he's like, I just knew that you were going to be a good fit. And so I've always kind of had that as a feather in my cap uh, for as a teacher. I, I think about that moment a lot when I talk with teenagers. So you get that job. What are you teaching at SCO? <laughs> my first year, I taught seventh grade world history, uh, three sections, and I taught one section of health. <laughs> oh, God, middle school health. Oh. This was the rite of passage. Man. Oh this my gosh, the- you've got to talk about oh man. I, every every single topic I don't even want to talk about in health I'm class talking, in middle school. Ra- this is what I told my kids. I was like, would you rather have your grandma talking to you about penises and vaginas and STDs, or would you rather have me? And they would always laugh. And I was like, okay. So like we did a we did a thing. It's a pretty common tactic for health teachers, I think. But, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> we, I would put sticky notes on kids' desks and I would say, if you have questions and you think it might be inappropriate to say it out loud, just write it on the sticky note and give it to me after class. Because <laughs> some of these kids, they don't, they don't know about it. Dude. So I I had to. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean that that was my best way to help them be discreet. I don't. I st- I I still remember, man, in Lincoln East, in the over above the pool where we used to have the health classes. You used to go up there, but in the back of the of the people who went to East will know what I'm talking about. In the the let's see, it would be the West Gym area. Go up above the pool, you'd have your health class, and they had the banana out, and they had the condom out, and they did that. And yep. Mrs. Wood, and I felt bad for her, you know, when when she had to do it. It was so awkward. Mr. Fleming, uh, all those guys doing the middle school or junior high, as we called it then, health class. I mean, of course, I went to a I went to a place where it was seven through twelve. Yeah. Uh, that's what East was then. So that was that was crazy. How did your how did the kind of the intimidation factor, the new factor? 
of that compared to what you had already been through when when you were at Yankee Hill? Uh, because it's obviously di- different. It's different circumstances, but it's a new intimidating thing too. Yeah. So at Yankee Hill, at every single student has trauma, and every single student has uh, academic and behavioral concerns, and so. Um, being <laughs> interacting student teaching with sophomores, some of them who were smarter than me, uh, was an interesting dynamic. Um, and teaching middle schoolers was, um, an interesting dynamic, you know, yeah. like it's, it's just much different teaching a classroom of 25 or 30 kids and you tell them, um, okay, everybody get your pencils out and get your Chromebook out, and they all do it. Um, whereas at Yankee Hill, there would be times where I'd be like, hey, we, we if, if you're going to graduate, like we, we got to get you to do this. Like, and you'd be like, man, fuck you. I'm not doing this. Right. Like there's still a perception I have, and I've got kids who have been through this. So this is – but like there's still a perception I have, Jake, that you go in now, that you still go in now every day and you try and – you try and say something, you try and tell them to get their Chromebooks out, that you try and do anything, and nobody, everybody ignores you. Like, um, is that, I mean, no, is, is that not a, I don't know why that's, that's there for me, and maybe I'm being unfair to a generation here. No, I but, don't think you are. I, uh, um, I want to think, I, I want to be careful how I phrase this, because, like, I, I, I want to be fair. Um, like, there's a certain level of defiance that I respect uh, um, and I understand, especially with teenagers. Um, but you know what I've noticed is very different about that, especially like the last few years of teaching compared to like when you and I were in school mm-hmm. is now there are so many more kids who instead of disrespecting you or being defiant, they just choose to ignore you. Right. And they choose to act like you're not there. Right. Uh, and and that has been difficult for me to know how to respond to as a teacher. And I want to be careful because, you know, the, the vast majority of students that I interact with and teach, um, I have very little worry about how they will do the rest of their life. Um, I, I feel like I've taught some brilliant kids. Um, I have taught some middle of the road academic kids that are very hard workers. Um, I, I, and I, I've taught every kind of kid um, and, and 90% of them are going to be fine, but it's those 10% that I really try to hone in on. And they're the ones that make me lose sleep at night. Cause I'm like, how, how can I get through to this kid? How can I how can I make sure this kid understands like uh, he or she needs to do this tomorrow or they need to do this or they're going to get suspended or, you know, those kinds of things. And so um, I don't know if I'm really answering your question, um, but I have a hunch school doesn't look a whole lot different today than it did when you or I were there. Hmm. Um, That's it, interesting because I have a perception that it does. I definitely have a perception that it does. And it manifests itself, Jake, by me feeling 
sympathy for teachers. It, 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 it that's one of the way it manifests itself. And I have a and I haven't been in the classroom, so it's a combination of what I hear from my kids, what I hear from the news, what I hear from other parents, what I hear from teachers, the fact that teachers are having are leaving the industry. It's all of these things that I have this perception that it's different and it's much worse. So it's a little reassuring to hear you say that, actually. I mean, yeah, and, and once again, like, it, it's, much, it's probably much more nuanced than, than I said. But, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's 8 to 3, man. I mean, they have desks. They change classes. Sometimes they have homework. Sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes, you know, there's friendship drama. There's fights at school. Sometimes there's, you know, stupid stuff that happens just like when you were in school, right? I mean, yeah. it, I mean they're kids. That's what I... That's Here's the, here's, here's the thing, Jake, is like I'm. we were talking about Dead Poet Society. It's like you get into the industry and you're picturing that moment at the end of that movie, and that's that's what you're picturing. And reality is, instead of all of the kids standing on their desks reciting poetry, you're using all of your energy just getting someone to open up their Chromebook. You know, yeah. something like that. Um, it's just, it's It's just not... You imagine a high level... And this is me just imputing, so tell me if I'm completely wrong, but, like, you imagine this high level, these moments like that, and so much of it is a much, it's just, it's, it's, it's a completely different world than yeah, what I, you're imagining. I can't, that's why I love teaching is because I can't, I have to make sure it's not a mundane activity for them every day. Uh, and kids, kids take morsels today instead of long form essays a lot better. So like, let me try to think of a good enough. Okay. Like, um, all right. So you're scrolling the internet and you come across uh, a really good long form article, uh, that you want to read. Okay. But you're not going to take the 20 minutes to read it right then. Right. Right. So, I have just assigned this massive project in class. It, it's interactive. It's fun. There are options for how kids can attack it. Chromebooks, writing, uh, maybe a slideshow, maybe a video. Um, and then I give them 45 minutes that day. I'm like, all right, get to work. Um, the same way that you yourself think I'm not going to do that 20 minute long form article right now. I got other things I want to do. That's the mentality today for a lot of kids Okay, is I, I, it's overwhelming. It's Mm -hmm. because everything is so regimented and, uh, TikToks are 13 seconds and tweets are three seconds to read. And, um, why can't I just rush through this assignment and then just go talk to my friends? Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's much more of that maybe than there was when you and I were in school. What are the moments like when something connects and you don't expect it? Uh, or you don't, or it hasn't connected and it does for the first time? Or there's interest for the first time? Oh, man. What's, uh, give me that moment. Because I'm sure, I'm sure those are your best moments, right? Yeah, those are, they are, and those are the moments that, I wish, um, I wish some of the talking heads and people outside of education could see. I wish that they would understand 
the amount of work and effort that goes into trying to get kids to uh, have those aha moments. And uh, I got a, um, like, I had a student this year who struggled very much academically. And uh, he, he was not a very hard worker. But I'll be damned. Every day, he had a really, he had one or two really thought-provoking questions in class. Like, he was very interested in history, um, and I could tell he was a good critical thinker. But when it came time to do the work, and when it came time to um, apply his skills, he was like, eh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do that right now. And you know what? Like, we're adults, and we have those moments. A hundred percent. Yeah, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound unique to this era. So and and so I know I have those thoughts as adults. And so I need to be understanding of kids who have those thoughts, too. Um, like. But and this is one reason why I love teaching U.S. history is because there's so much like. Yeah, yeah, there's the whole <laughs> Every kid has that line ready that their dad told them, like, yeah, we learn history so we don't repeat the mistakes that we made. And it's, yeah, okay, but there's a lot more to it than that generic corny line. Uh, I like to tell my kids um, that history explains the present. Like, if you have questions about why things are the way they are today, good, bad, and in between, that's why we're going to learn about history. You know, like there's so many different steps and slow moving pieces um, and great and terrible individuals involved in U.S. history that have made it this big ball that it is today. And and so I really do enjoy that. And when it clicks for kids like, oh, yeah, that's why this is the way it is. Um, Those are those are really neat moments to, to get them to understand. Total aside for a second here. And you, I didn't love history. Um, I didn't love history class. Really? That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I especially, I took wet in college. I took Western Civ in college and God, I hated that class so much. (laughs) I went to Italy. I went to Italy a few weeks ago and I saw, and I saw the Roman ruins. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and I had a tour guide who told me all about it and who showed me the Coliseum and who showed me all of this stuff. And, and these these twenty five hundred year old buildings that are still standing, and started telling the stories that go, went along with them. I'm like, I want to go see if Southeast Community College has any classes on Roman history that I, I uh, that I could. Isn't that n- like I've never it it changed everything for me in terms it, of it, interest in that. I want to read books about it now. I've never had that desire in my life. It makes you feel something. Yeah, and, and so like, you know what's weird is for me. As much as I enjoy U.S. history, I had never taught it. And I found myself um, reading, like, I feel like it's it's um, it's almost cliche to say, like, every U.S. history's favorite, teacher's favorite subject is the Civil War, to teach about all the conflict with it. I have found myself much more fascinated by uh, not the Revolutionary War, but the American Revolution and and how the Founding Fathers these, albeit all white, wealthy men or decently wealthy men, um, had so many different ideas and so many different beliefs and conflicts. But you know what? They made it work, man. They were brilliant 
and they made it work. And I, I mean, I'm a huge John Adams stan. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I love reading about the founding fathers and David McCullough and um, just the kinds of men that they were in the 1780s um, <laughs> and how much of it can actually relate to the way that we think today. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, not to take you on too much. Well, of a, no, how mu- Okay. I want to ask you a question about that. How much is, okay. So you didn't love history in girl in, in high school and college and anything. No, no, I liked it. I mean, I mean, it was, it was of interest to me. Uh, I minored in history in college, but like, I had very little interest in, I mean, history class for me in high school in small town, Nebraska, Native American history was watching Kevin Costner and dances with the wolf, (laughs) you know, while your teacher's drawing up football plays for Friday. So you've, I mean, I I mean, you are, you've read more, you've had to think more about history by virtue of your job. You've had to do that. How is it? How much does that impact how you look at everything that happens day to day in in the world? Really? Oh, yeah. Um, like, and this is, this was for some reason, and it's because as I age, and, and maybe you experience this as well, I feel like history is so much closer to us the older we get. Like, I'm like, wow, I'm 35. Um, and when I start to teach kids who know nothing about 9 11, uh, I'm like, wow, like, I experienced that. Uh, Yeah. And like for my students in my classroom, I'm like, guys, we are, we are one or two generations removed from Supreme court cases that impact our country greatly today. Like interracial marriage Mm -hmm. wasn't even a, wasn't even legal in all States until the 1960s. I mean, that's, I mean, my parents were alive then, you know, like, uh, uh, I mean, it was just eight years ago that the Supreme Court ruled that same sex marriage was legal in all 50 states. Um, I mean, Ruby Bridges is still alive. And I mean, like, guys, we are not that far. Like, I tell my kids this a lot. I said, because I'm I'm lucky to work in a building that demographically uh, is pretty diverse. Um, it, it represents LPS pretty well. It's a good parallel. Mm. Uh, do not take it for granted that you are in a diverse school setting and it's beautiful. Like you are around people of all different colors, all different faiths, all different sexualities or whatever it is. And that's so freaking cool. You know, 60, 70 years ago, there's a lot of places in this country couldn't even happen. No way it would happen. Mm-hmm. And so, when kids start to hear that stuff, I feel like it triggers their interest a lot more. They're like, wow, that's not that long ago. My grandma was alive then, you yeah. know? And, and so that really gets them going. Yeah, man. Even, and again, I hate to go back to my own experience, but even going back and, you know, seeing, going to Europe and seeing, you know, you've got, they've got building, they've got building after building that's older than our country there. It makes you realize how young all of our things are. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I, but, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. No, yeah, I want to ask you some more questions, and I know we're going along, but I, I, as long as you don't care, I don't care. I, know, I, I because, got on that, I, I'm really enjoying this, so thank you. I, I, and I think these are important, and I wanted to get to the stuff. I mean, 
I, the radio stuff was fascinating to me, but I think the education stuff is interesting in emotion. What's a bigger problem, parents who are too uninvolved or parents that are too involved? Um, I can only speak to my my uh, bubble in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, parents who are too uninvolved. Um, what am I supposed to do? when I have a student who refuses to do anything or chooses to sleep every day and I call home and nobody answers and I email home and I don't get any response and I go to the social worker or the counselor and let them know what's up. And then there's a whole other process. that's going to take several weeks to get this figured out. Um, so I would say, um, I mean, there's such a, I'm fascinated by, by the, the differences between North and South Lincoln. Um, and, and it, it, I'm very partial to North Lincoln. Um, but I, so I would say from my bubble, parent uninvolvement. However, I have, uh, I understand I, what you're saying. It might yeah. be different. It might be different based on a lot of things. Yeah. Yes. Right. I think that's fair. Right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. A hundred percent. 100%. I, there's just, I, I think of what you're, I, I think of both sides of the problem in schools. I think of what you're, you just explained. I also think of the parent that's storming in and complaining about the grade that a kid got, which none of our parents would have ever done. No, um, you know, when I feel old saying these things, when you and I were in school, mm-hmm. uh, when you and I were in school, if the teacher said, to your parents, Jack has been misbehaving or he's not doing well in school. Um, your parents disciplined you. Yes. Yeah. But when, but now today, a lot of parents say, well, what is the teacher doing wrong? Right. Or, is, or they blame the school. There was, there was a level of implicit trust without questioning that went to what the teacher said, even if it was even if it was negative about your own child for whatever. Yeah, and, and the teacher always won. This is my experience, so maybe it wasn't always, but the, te- the teacher always won that battle. Always. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's your teacher. That's that's the trusted adult in the building that um, is a professional, and they're providing an education, and parents respected it at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, we could I could tell you dozens of stories about, questionable parenting decisions, but then also I'm told as a teacher, and I understand this, it's not my job to tell a parent how to parent. Okay. So like when a, when a, when a parent says to me, I just don't know what to do about Jack. Uh, he's, he's failing all his classes. Um, and he's running around with his friends and he's always on his phone and he's playing video game. And I, I generally speaking, we're not supposed to say, well, take his phone away. Well, take take the video games away or like, put, I mean, ground him. I can't do that, man. I'm a teacher. I'm not a parent in that situation. So it makes it very difficult when there are parents that I'm like, I wish I could tell you what to do, but I, I, I can't really tell you how to parent. That's your kid. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, let me ask you, you can, I can ask you those questions here instead of a, you know, a parent teacher conference. If you could guarantee parents of your students were going to do one thing, what would it be? 
uh, it, like in my classroom this year. Yeah, the par- yeah parents of if you could just talk to the parents who are listening right now as the teacher and say if there's one thing I could if if you could come into this year and this year the the kids are going to have and say the parents are going to do this thing and they're going to do it and it would make the experience for everyone way better. What would that be? Okay, I don't want to ruin your question. I just want to make sure I understand it. You're saying if I could, if I could ideally have parents do one thing to yes. help me. Yeah, to do oh. to do one thing. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. What would that be? Oh, no doubt about it. Check their check student view or parent view uh, at least weekly um, for grades, missing assignments, tardies, truancies, um, and Check your email. <laughs> These are so basic things, but it's it's. This true. is what I want to know. Like I, we are living in an age where parents have more access and control in their child's education than ever before. I mean, I can I can see uh, it starts it starts mainly in middle school more so than more so than elementary. I can see any class my da- my daughter or son is tardy in. I can see their grades and all their assignments and all their classes. Um, our parents couldn't do that when we were in school. Um, I mean, we had to bring it home on a piece of paper and we weren't going to show it if we didn't right, want to. Right. And so, so much of this stuff is right at their fingertips online. So when I get an email from a parent that's like, what's my kid's grade or why are they failing your class? It's very frustrating because I just want to be like, it's right there for you. Like you can check the grade book. Like you all have access to this. You mm-hmm. can see how I'm grading. You can see the assignments. You can, you can see if your kid has missed any time in my class, like it's all right there, you know? So, but what kids have gotten very good at doing uh, that I feel like millennial parents are going to do a better job of is kids gaslight the hell out of their parents. They, they say, Oh, I turned that assignment in already. And I know, I know, I have had, he's right over here, but I have had this. And then I, and then I'm the teacher and I'm the bad guy. I got to send the screenshot. I got to send the email and say, actually, no, he hasn't. It's right here. I got eight assignments in, but they haven't been graded yet. Yep. Heard it. But they just, he just doesn't grade assignments. He's never going to grade assignments. They've been sitting there for a month, and he just, I don't know, he just doesn't grade them. Yep. But <laughs> I, uh, that's All right, I'm bud. Congrats on getting to college. Good job. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a different world. Um, I can tell you're a good parent by your tweets and, and by how I hear you interact. No, I mean. No one's ever said that phrase in their life, by the way. I can tell a good parent by your, you're a good parent by your tweets. No, man. Like, no, but like, I can tell you're passionate. I can tell that you're an emotional dude. You, you care about people. You care about your kids. And, uh, that's so important. Like, if I had one of your kids in my class, you and I could have a, a very simple heart-to-heart discussion on what's going on, and you would handle it just fine as a parent. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, that's hopefully, yeah. yeah. But so many parents are just ready to fight, man. They're yeah, ready, they're ready to tell you why you're wrong as the teacher, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, what do you think I'm doing this for? Yeah. See, I probably go in, and my kids probably don't like this, and it's not always. And frankly, it's not always right. But I go in 
probably with a lot more like my parents' mentality, where I assume the teacher is, where I assume the teacher is pretty infallible and the kid isn't. Sure. Um, I, and I, I, that's, that's probably not the norm. I probably that was if you ask my son, that's probably how he would say I went into things. Well, and I want to, I want to make something clear too. Like my uh, my wife went to Catholic school K through twelve. She went to Pius. Um, and so I'm allowed to make fun of Pius because of that. Good. Uh, <laughs> went to East, so I'm also allowed. Okay, good, good. <laughs> uh, um, but like, I I have told my wife, like, you know what? Our kids might have a few teachers that we don't really like, or that a few teachers that our kids don't really like. That's how it works, man. Like, you're you're going to school for 13 years, K through 12. What do you have? You have like six or seven different teachers from seventh grade to 12th grade. You know what? Chances are you're not going to get along with all of them. Mm-hmm. So, but that's how life works. And so you got to find a way to make that work. And sometimes I think parents are really ready to jump on a teacher, get upset with them when it's like, you know what? It's just, it's just not, it's not worth your time. Like, it's not like, I don't know. Yeah. This is a big question. What's the biggest thing school districts could do to improve teacher retention? <laughs> Giving them a, I mean, how much would, first of all, let me ask you this. It needs your question. How much would raises help? Raises? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. Salary. Salary uh, raises. Yeah. For me personally, or you're saying for, for I'm saying generally, not for you personally. I'm asking you to speculate a little based on your knowledge of the profession. Money, money. That's it. So that's it. That is the biggest thing. You oh know. yeah. You know what? Like, it's the it's the whole. I, I am a firm believer in this. It is the whole long monologue that Sam Seaborn gives on the West Wing. Rob Lowe, his character, mm-hmm. when he says teachers should be making six figure salaries, it should be a fierce competition at every school district to who to uh, for those jobs. We should have the brightest minds and the most engaging teachers competing to be hired at schools. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he ends it by saying, you know, I don't know how to do that. But, you know, <laughs> uh, um, and I mean, I, I would say. I know that's like that's a really simple answer. And maybe you want it's to comforting. No, I'll tell you what it is, Jake. It makes me feel that seems more doable, right? then that that seems more doable than changing the generation of kids that they don't want to teach. Right. I mean, it's, it's public record, Jack. I mean, you can look up any teacher's salary. I mean, I'm making, I'm in my eighth year. So I'm going to make like 50 or 55 grand next year. And I'm telling you, you want to know how many people would want to be teachers. If you started paying them 80 or 90 grand a year, a lot more. Yeah. And, And so that's, that's what it is. I think a big part of it. I mean, I'm not saying that's easy to. I'm not. I'm not saying that's easy to solve, but at least it's not a complex solution, right? No, it's I mean, not. It's not about the. It's not about the the era that we live in and something unique about it that is going to be impossible to sort of correct or change. No, and I mean, I well, you have me on your podcast, and so I will tell you personally what what would help. As yes, well. I'm not, that, yeah, that, I want to know that too. I, I I'm fine with the amount of money I make personally. Like I, I live a comfortable middle-class life in North Lincoln with my wife and two kids. Um, I don't have a whole lot of complaints. I like my job. Um, but if you, if you want to make me happier or a lot of 
uh, teachers I know happier, I would say follow through with student behavior, um, less focus on data, more focus on action. Um, and also like, (laughs) if you're not in education, this is going to sound a little standoffish and egotistical. Um, if you're not in education, um, and you haven't been visiting schools or you don't know what schools are really like right now, then just be quiet and leave us alone. That, that like, we are getting attacked from so many different political spheres and people that have no idea what they're talking about. And it's infuriating because that same, that same rhetoric, uh, that's what parents read about. And then they think it's going on. So you're regular hearing, you're regularly hearing people say this is going on in schools and you're like, what are they talking about? I mean, Jack, I, I, I can teach a lesson about slavery and get three emails from parents saying, stop teaching my kids critical race theory. Um, and it's like, do you get those by the way? Yes. Yes. Like I, I mean, and I, I (laughs) am like, if I'm a total jerk, if I say, you don't know what you're talking about, leave me alone. Um, but then I'm also a total jerk if I don't respond. And so it's one of those, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And there are so, the, the two big ones right now, and I mean, they're they're out there. It's it's the CRT stuff and right. it's the sex education stuff and the pronouns and, and all that stuff. And the SEL thing is the new thing they've been talking about. Yes. Too. Yeah. And so, like, we have some major concerns in public education right now. Those are not even top 100. Um, <laughs> that you're not that you're not getting enough critical race theory into the kids' heads. Uh, I, yeah, that, that that's not a concern, is what I'm saying. Yeah, like I'm on, I'm on record. Like I I speak at board of education meetings. Like I there is no CRT being taught in K through 12 LPS, and then I'll get. Uh, I had a woman who contacted. My boss, my principal, who's a wonderful human being, and um, they wanted to do an audit of all my emails and my teaching materials because they were they wanted to know if I've been teaching CRT. And I'm just like, this is a giant waste of time. Like, what are we doing with our resources right now? Um, So we, we get burdened with these things that, like, have nothing to do with what we're doing that are incredibly distracting. And it's like people picking on you and making fun of you and bullying you for things that are not true at all. And it's infuriating and it gets me emotional and it makes me like, but then if I get upset, um, then all of a sudden I'm the crazy teacher, you know, I'm the jerk, you know? And so like, it's, it's a very difficult, um, it's very difficult for me personally to know whether or not to engage on some of those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. I would, I would be the worst. I would be the, I, I mean, I would be the worst. I would want to fight, right? I, you know what I would, you know what I would say? I, because you're not, you, you, you want to say, I would say, uh, ma'am, critical race theory is, I've read about it. Um, I also went to law school and it is, it is dense even for a lot of the stuff that I read. 
in 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 a in a in a class like legal um, legal practice, basically, or, or legal, the legal profession, or something like that, where it's a very high level sort of like it is dense stuff. Um, yeah. Sure, you could pull out. I guess hypothetically, you could pull out a few of the principles from it, but it is a it's dense academic stuff um, at this point, and. They've also did. They've also they've gone from that, and when it's dismissed, they've kind of turned CRT into this whole SEL and right. What is that, by the way? Are you guys? I don't know enough about that. I just know it came up at this last thing. Social emotional learning is just um, you did it in school. I did it in school. It just probably wasn't under that name. It's just how to be a good human being, like treating people with respect, knowing. What it's what it's like to be equitable, not bullying kids, being emotionally aware of social is, statuses and things in the world. So, is there a racial component to it? Uh, I no, not not directly, but I think you could say indirectly. Um, just given the demographics and the way our country is, sure. Um, well, if it's don't bully people, don't bully. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. You know. But I just, I have this real tough time with people saying, don't, um, I'm just going to think about how I want to articulate this. Like, what what do you want? Like, I'm here to teach the truth. I'm here to teach facts. I'm here to help kids understand why things are the way they are. And then they can do whatever they want with that information. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this would never happen, but if, if a kid is like, Hey, why are, uh, why are property values more expensive in South Lincoln than North Lincoln? I'd be like, Oh, wow. That's a really deep question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and guess what? There is a racial component there and there is a demographic component and there is a social component and a wealth component and that's okay. Um, but like, that's just the truth. It's not, I'm not trying to ingrain anything. And like, I, I don't, I don't know. It's just very complex. And people think that their kids are getting indoctrinated and it's just not, it's just so absurd. Yeah. Which by the way, I never worried for, I mean, this is just me opining. It's not even a question, oh, but it, it's just me opining. It's not even a question. It's like, I didn't ever worry about my kids getting in. Even if there was something being taught that I thought was crap. Yeah. Like and, number for a couple, I mean, a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm pretty confident in the way that I'm raising them, and and mm-hmm. what the discussions that we're having, and those sorts of things that they're going to override it. And I understand why people, you know, may not may not feel that way. But the the other thing is at some level, and then a, like what I really can't believe, Jake, is you're at the middle school level, fine, but when you get to the university level. And you're in the university level, political science students. I'm a political science major, Jake. I didn't major in broadcasting. You got more broadcasting education than I have. I'm a political science, philosophy, law, that kind of stuff. And I went to a conservative Christian college. And, man, the discussions and the debates that we had there in those classes would make the modern generation blush. Oh, because yeah. I'm in 1997, because I mean, that even that place, Orange City, Iowa, uh, the most conservative county in America, 
I was in in Sioux County, Iowa, and still and 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 an evangelical Christian college, but in a political science class, in a philosophy class, in these sorts of things, we we brought up ideas that were and we debated them and we discussed them that were that were completely that that may not have been something that you know any of us bought into that some of us did we didn't get freaking offended by by ideas about society that we didn't buy into we yeah. there weren't it wasn't a pers- participation trophy education situation it's a and especially at the university level it's a higher level of thinking where theories and ideas should be discussed and even they if they're freaking be. whack even if yeah. they're wacko and there were plenty of them that were sure. completely wacko like that just, we discussed take a philosophy class you live talk, talk about living a like discuss utilitarianism and living your entire life in utilitarianism which by the way i think is kind of a thing now i think that's kind of how elon musk lives his life it like yeah. is 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 actually utility to, you know, like you'll discuss the outcomes and hey maybe that is is that something you should do but the, 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 oh, it's crazy, and I'm really going off now, Jake, but it's crazy because we have all these people saying, oh, everyone's so soft and they get so offended. That's what you're doing in education. You are being a complete snowflake about education, and you are asking for participation trophies in the world of education. Of, of discussion, of debate. You want one thing fed and not even analyzed and give everyone the medal and say, great, here's what you all thought. It drives me insane. I, okay. Sorry. My no, rant you, over. You went on a tangent. So can I go on one real quick too? Sure. Okay. Some of these people that are so easily offended or they think that um, – some of this indoctrination is happening or they don't want their kids exposed to certain ideas or things that are going on. Um, I wish they could see a week in a public school setting. Um, these kids are coexisting and getting along just fine. There is not like, I, I know some teachers are different. I am not the, I am not publicly asking students for their pronouns. Okay. I am, I'm, I'm not that guy. Um, I don't have a problem if teachers do that, whatever. Um, but my thing is like, that is such a minute thing who like, it's so small. Um, like for you to be offended that that's happening. I mean, you, you must not have many worries at all in your life. That's what's really getting, keeping you up at night. And I got to tell you, I've, this will be my eighth year. So I've taught probably a, a little more than a thousand kids. And I, I have taught probably 10 to 15 kids who are um, trans or they thought maybe that, that they were going through something. They never, it was never a public thing. It may have been a private conversation with a teacher or a counselor because they trusted that person and um, we follow what we're supposed to do. Um, we make sure parents are either aware, which most of the time they already are. Some are supportive, some are not. And that's okay. That's their choice. And then guess what I do? I go teach U.S. history that day. That's it. 
Like there's no, there's no, like, there's no indoctrination. There's like some of these people, I feel like all they think that we do in school is narrow in on pronouns and teaching critical race theory. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, this, that, like you, you do understand that this is not even one tenth of a percent of what I do in the classroom. You just made me think of another question I have. You grew up in Minden. Yeah. And even today in 2023, contrast, and, and I don't know if it, you still you know, know what's going on in Minden or anywhere else, but sure. contrast the role of the public school in the community in a town like that compared to a town like Lincoln. Um, because it's, it, it, uh, what I'm getting at is, you know, even this, this petition drive that's going on right now, okay, yeah. um, there's a lot of towns that are small towns that are conservative towns all they know is public schools, right? Sure. And the public school is the public school is where they're going all you know, the entire town's going to on Friday night for the football game, right? They're you know, they might hold a they might hold a church potluck there in the public school or something. You know, there might it's it's the it's a hub for the community in a different way than it is probably in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so sometimes I wonder is if in some of these rural areas where it still kind of is that, you know, the, the teachers are your neighbors there more clearly mm -hmm. than they are here. If that produces sort of a different, I don't know, kind of a different view of public schools than when it's in a bigger, uh, a bigger city setting. Do you get what I'm getting at? Yeah, it's vastly different. Um, and there's a certain level of uncomfortability if you're not used to it. And I experienced it as a teacher. Um, I didn't see many people of color or know. I mean, like I used homophobic slurs and racial slurs when I was a kid because that's what everybody else did. Mm -hmm. And of course I regret that, but I also wasn't educated and I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And so I, <laughs> I think this will answer your question. When I became a teacher at SCO, um, I had a few students who wore hijabs, the, um, Islamic head headdress for, for women. Um, and it made me uncomfortable because I had never really been around it. Um, and I think you really have two choices in life when something like that makes you uncomfortable. You can be fearful and, um, you can, uh, dismiss it or make fun of it to make yourself feel better or attack it. Or you can be curious and you can want to learn about it and know more about it. So like, and that was me as a teacher. I was like, that's my job. Like I'm supposed to help kids. I'm supposed to learn about them just like they're supposed to learn in my class. And so whether it be, um, you know, <laughs> Somebody's some some kids gender, some students sexual orientation, some students faith, some students uh, race. Um, like, yeah, I understand why some people who have not been around that uh, might feel uncomfortable and it makes more sense for them to um, <laughs> dismiss it or, or be scared of it or not know how to attack it. But I got to tell you, once you embrace it and you're curious, it opens a whole new, wonderful world for you. 
and you start to realize how many freaking awesome different people we have yeah. in our city of Lincoln, you know, mm-hmm. and sorry, I'm getting on, I'm, I'm on a soapbox, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. I do. And, and, and my original thought, and not to invalidate any of that, that, but I, I think I do wonder though, if just there isn't necessarily in, in some of these, in, in a smaller district, in a smaller town where the public school is more part of community life than it is in a city, if there isn't quite the scrutiny on it. Does that make yeah, sense? I, yes. And in one of the, um, to, to, in one of my conversations with uh, Superintendent Paul Gaussman, um, he, he mentioned that schools used to be, like you said, uh, especially in small communities now, yeah, that was the place you went to. It was the town hall. People hung right. out there. That was the community. That was the place. Every single person went there, right? And that, and you I knew everyone who was working there. Yes, and we've lost that. I think in our mm-hmm. big towns, yeah, for yeah. for a variety of reasons. It's easier. It's much easier to be skeptical of it because you don't know. You know, it's not. It's not as integral a part of a com- of the community. It, it's not a part of the community the same way that it is. I think even today in small towns. Um, as well, and so I just it's it, it's just always interesting because we think of these small towns as being more on probably the conservative end of end of things politically, mm-hmm. but like I wonder if they have a very different relationship though with public schools sometimes than we expect them to, and they might be worried about what's happening in Omaha and Lincoln with public schools, but maybe not so much what's happening in Minden, for instance. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. I, it did, and, and we. Anyway, yeah, that's just that's just something I always I always I always think about. I want to get I'm going to divide this up into two parts, which is great now because it's one less uh, podcast I have to do. But anyway, but like I got a couple other questions, two other questions I want to ask you, and then I'll like get you out of here. Oh, you're um, fine. Go ahead, man. I, I'm curious, a little bit less. This is kind of a fun question, though. But the, to the extent you talk about entertainment or sports or video games with your students that are what you, mostly seventh grade, is that right? Uh, no, now I, my last seven years I've taught eighth grade. Eighth grade. Okay. Eighth grade. How are those things consumed differently by the current generation than you did when you're, when, when you, in your age? Take it. Uh, da- yeah. Okay. The, I, I, I'm ready. The, yeah. uh, and this makes me sad. Um, cause we, we wax nostalgic about a lot of things in the nineties and the early two thousands. The monoculture is dead. Yeah. Uh, it's dead, man. What like, about Barbenheimer? That, you know what? Wasn't that? Isn't that kind of fun? I saw Oppenheimer yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I I kind of felt really cool. My wife let me have a day to myself. <laughs> she 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 said you can do whatever you want. I'll stay at home with the kids, and because uh, she had the day off, and I said I'm gonna go to a movie, and it's a movie that a lot of people have seen, and a lot of people are talking about. That kind of culture is fun, uh, but I feel like it is slowly dying. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that's exceptional. It feels like the first taste of it we've had for a while. But yeah, I I, I under, completely understand what you're saying. But every there the the plus side of this is yes, in school you still have your nerds, your jocks, your drama, all that kind of stuff. But like, um, there is something for every kid now. Mm-hmm. You you if you just have to seek it out. Um, I mean, with the internet, I mean, kids, and I mean this in a positive way, not a negative way. 
kids can seek out anything they're interested in mm-hmm. or they can find something and they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. I really like that. And they might be the only one out of 900 students who knows about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, when you and I were in school, um, you're about 10 years older than me, I think. But like, I mean, if anybody says Seinfeld, everybody knows what you're talking about, right? If anybody, if anybody says the movie Titanic in the mid nineties, everybody saw that movie in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's over, man. Like, it makes yeah. me super sad. I mean, kids, uh, by the way, hip hop sucks today. I hope my students hear that. Yeah. Um, but like, every student listens to different music now. Every really? Student, yeah, it's weird, man. Like, they, they all. I, I didn't. This, for, that's interesting. I mean, I guess that goes along with what we said about the monoculture, but I still had this assumption that it was still this kind of, you know, then to stereotype very badly and probably based on my own kids and my own son that it's just kind of this uh this druggy hip-hop garbage um like this druggy emo hip-hop garbage that they're all listening to and it's not like that i was listening to hip-hop that was morally superior i mean i i grew up in the era of the chronic so i mean but anyway i mean but you i still think it's better (laughs) yeah but like i know i know how much like you love dave matthews band yeah and, and the type of music that you grew up with i'm the same way but then also in today's society, when the monoculture has died, there is so much music out there for me to seek out and see if I like. So yeah. like if Jason Isbell or yeah. you know Tyler Childers were around in 1995, I probably would have never known about them. Correct. Yeah. You know? So like you're able to find exactly. That's true. What you like. But you don't have the shared experience in the same way. That's right. right. I so mean, what's more important? What's right. the radio topic for you? What's more important? The monoculture and the, the monoculture. Yeah. Okay. Exactly what you want. Is there any, and, and there's no more monoculture around Husker sports. Is there? I, like, I feel like that was such a baiting question. Like, do you, what, what do you want me to tell you, Jack? Middle what do you want me to, I'll tell you what I want you to tell me. I'm saying, no, you're wrong. It's great. All the kids love it, Jake. That's what I want, but I know it's false. So that's yeah. what I want you to tell me. I want you to paint a reality. That's not true. I, I I will tell you, I make damn sure that I tell all my students we do we do Husker football predictions on Fridays, and I have one student. I always pick a student who like clearly based on my interactions with them know nothing about sports. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, all right, give me a final score, and they're like, uh, twelve to four. I'm like, there it is. We're putting it on the board, and uh. <laughs> But I make a point to tell all my kids, I was alive when Nebraska was good at football and dominant, and everybody in this state loved it. It was a religion. It still is, even though you all know they suck and you think they suck. Like, I love Husker football, and someday they will be great again, and you will believe that if you are in my classroom. And they laugh at me, and yeah. So uh, I don't know how – I find with with kids – the NBA resonates a lot. I was just going to say, is it the NBA? Yeah, it's the NBA, right? Um, and I love the NBA, so I'm fine with that. It, it makes for good chatter with the kids. Um, uh, my least favorite students are the ones who make fun of LeBron, so I always give them a hard time. <laughs> but, but like, um, basketball is king, at least at least as far as like what I hear kids talking about when they talk. That would have been my guess is the end. That's in. Now I would have got that right is I would have just guessed it was, it's primarily about the NBA. Yeah. L- listen, you still like the NFL is still talked about, man. Like yeah. these kids, yeah. still, 
But the other one that I think, and this won't surprise you, um, I see a lot of soccer jerseys, man. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of soccer love, and and it's it's usually your you know English Premier League teams, or they're following the you know the Champions League, UEFA, and stuff. And so I, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about soccer. I I don't hate it. It's just not something I'm emotionally yeah. attached to. So yeah. yeah, that's interesting. All right, last question for you, and I'll get you out of here. This Uh-oh. has been this has been really fun. Um, but this is a good one. This is a good one. You know, I, I, again, I think sometimes I think of, I, I have an overly, I think I have an overly dark picture of the world that's going on in the schools. And when I talk to you, I think that even more. And so I'm curious for you, you know, when you, when you wrap up a year, when you go home at night, when you think about what accrued during the day, what makes you hopeful about the generation of kids that you have been teaching and you are teaching because I get the sense that you probably do in the end really feel that way, despite the challenges that come along with things. Um, I love my kids. I, I would go to war for any of them. Like I, this generation of kids and especially at a fragile age of like 13, 14 years old, when they got things going on, uh, like their BS meters are really good. <laughs> um, they know, man. They know when you're feeding them crap. Uh, if, and like I said earlier, there's a certain level of defiance I can respect. And, and cause I can be defiant obviously too. But um, if they don't have a reason for doing something or understand why they need to do it, then they want to know why. And, and I respect that. Um, and you know, it's difficult to explain to a 13 year old that there's hoops you got to jump through in life. And this is just one of them, but, um, they, they, they are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I am hopeful for the future. I, I know it's easy to look at some of the things that are going on and, you know, we're going to look back in 20 or 30 years and there will be plenty of research papers on screen time and, and phones and how we interact and, and face-to-face communication and phone community. But I, I, I do think the world, our country, um, the, I, I, I have a good amount of hope in, in the next generation of kids. I really do. Well, I, I want to end it by, and I, I say this to you, but even even more to everybody. If uh, hopefully you'll share this with some of your um, your friends who are in the industry as well. But I want to say, as a as a parent of uh, myself, being a product of Lincoln Public Schools, um, having one kid who just finished and another one who's in, and, and and it's not just LPS; it's it's anywhere. But you know, we do we do a good job of thanking people who deserve thanks uh, in in some industries, and we do not so good of a job, I think, saying thanks to people who are in other industries. And I'll just say, I want to say to you, and I want to say to the other teachers who end up listening to this, is there are a lot of people, a lot of parents that know that day-to-day that you're going through some tough stuff, that you're going through, that you're going through some some interactions with parents or students or your administration or any of that. And we know that there is a level of thanklessness that's going on that we probably don't 
even understand. And I want to. I, I try and I try and express that to at every parent teacher conference that I've had. All of these things, because frankly, I'm worried that we're not going to have good people in the teaching industry. And so, I at least want to tell the people who are in it that I appreciate that they're doing what they're doing, and I understand that what they're doing is hard. And I hope that goes some direction in giving them encouragement in this whole thing. And so, I'll repeat those things. Uh, I'm especially Jake glad that I've got you know somebody that we've got somebody like you here in Lincoln who's who's committed to doing what they do, who's going through some of the hard stuff, uh, who's who's uh, doing Husker football predictions with their kids uh, and talking about old-school hip-hop in the way that it needs to be done. Uh, but in all seriousness, talking to you even makes me more glad that you're in, the, in Lincoln Public Schools and you're teaching and you're influencing the young people here. And uh, I'm sure I'd be glad about a bunch of teachers if I had a chance to meet them. So a big thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I, uh, that was very genuine. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, uh, I love my job too, man. I I know we do go through a whole lot, but I also want people to know that there are still a lot of teachers that enjoy going to the classroom. So good to hear. It's so good to hear. Hey, uh, your, uh, your daughter's going to be an eighth grader. Uh, let's see. She is going to, it's so can people are going to be like, don't, don't you know what age your daughter is? It is so hard because in for me i had junior high my entire life was seventh through ninth grade okay yeah. and she, so my entire life it's seven through nine everyone i know and so she's in her first year of middle school which is sixth through eighth grade but i don't do the conversion sometimes so she finished sixth. she's going into seventh this year yes okay i know i know who she is and how old she is though okay perfect where did, do you mind me asking where she goes to middle school? she goes to lux Okay. I was going to say, I don't, I'm trying to think if I know any teachers at Lux. Um, I was going to say, God, man, you and I could hang out after school someday if you sent her way up north to, to SCO. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure that would be, you know, she can walk right now, Jake. It's kind of nice. Um, <laughs> and honestly, and, and here's, I'll tell you something else about school. I gave up, uh, what, uh, not this last year, but the year before, I gave up on my 12-year streak of picking up a kid from an elementary school. And that's something we need to talk about in the educational system is pick up at elementary schools because, A, these schools were designed for every – I went to the same elementary school, May Morley. Everybody rode the bus or walked. There weren't, there weren't no parents there because all the parents were at work. There was no parents there at 3.30 picking any kids up. Now there's 500 of them, and, yep. uh, and, and they don't understand the traffic rules and they don't want it's it's insane it is complete insanity and it probably is a little bit at middle schools but not as much i don't think as the elementary schools it's completely crazy so jake i have retired i have retired even though i guess when my daughter's a freshman someone's gonna have to pick her up from east i have retired from driving kids to school so i apologize that won't be possible fair enough i apologize <laughs> but hey, anyway. it, was, it was it was great to talk to you jack um I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, I know that you never hear this, but I I, I enjoy your Twitter, and uh, <laughs> it's a you know what it's a lot of fun because um, I can tell there's a great big kid inside of you still that that uh, tries so hard to find the right words and the filter before you tweet some things out, and I love it every time. So <laughs> sometimes I achieve that, and sometimes I don't. <laughs> And then sometimes I get mad at people, and I really don't, but nonetheless. <laughs> All right, there you go. Hey, thanks so much, Jake. We appreciate it. Uh, that's Jake Bogus. 
uh, teacher, radio guy, uh, Minden Whippet, and more. Uh, we've learned all about that today. Hey, stay tuned. I don't know who's next on the Jack Mitchell podcast, uh, but we'll have more coming up. We are now into Season 3, and so we will say, see you next time on the Jack Mitchell Podcast, a podcast from Podcast House Media. Check us out, podcasthousemedia.com, to find more podcasts that you may like. See you next time.